Wellington Burt was this guy who was born in 1831 in Pike, New York. I don't know if you know his name or not. He actually became famous as a resident of Michigan. He moved to Michigan when he was seven years old, um, kind of central Michigan area. When he was 12, his dad died. His family lived on a farm. And through the, through the encouragement and the tutelage of his mom, he began to manage his farm at 12 years old when his dad died. As he grew a little bit older, he determined that he wanted to go to college, and he went to what's now known as Adrian College for a couple of years. And at age 22, he decided he wanted to see the world, so he became a sailor. And as a sailor, he um, hired onto a merchant ship. He uh, went to Australia, to New Zealand, to Central America and South America before returning at age 26 to Michigan. When he came back to Michigan, uh, again, this is, this is about the, the mid-1800s, um, he got a job with a, with a lumber company, a timber yard, and began to cut trees in a very short period of time. He became a manager, and a year later, at age 27, he decided to buy his own company. He began this career then as a businessman and an entrepreneur, launching in all kinds of businesses. He was in the timber business. He ultimately bought lumber mills, salt mines, um, it was involved in the banking industry and dealing with bonds and, and uh, made a lot of money. He went into politics. He became the mayor of East Saginaw um, and ultimately served uh, one term in the Michigan State Senate as a senator for the state of Michigan. Um, he was uh, at one point one of the eight most wealthy men in the United States in the late 1800s. He had two wives. He, his first wife died. He had uh, several children with her, uh, married again, and had some more kids. Wellington Burt, um, can you put his picture up there? Uh, that, that's the guy, Jason. Um, Wellington Burt, that's him, is probably best known for what happened when he died. He died in 1919 with a fortune of more than $40 million. So think about $40 million in 1919 dollars. But what happened when he died was, in his will, he put in what's known as a spite clause. In his will, he said that his estate would not be dispersed. It would be held in trust and not dispersed until 21 years after all of his children and grandchildren that were alive at that point in time had died. His last granddaughter died in 1989. So 21 years later, in 1910, his estate was finally settled. It was valued at over $100 million, and it was dispersed between three great-grandchildren, seven great-great-grandchildren, and two great-great-great-grandchildren. What words would you use to describe Wellington Burt? You know, I'm, I'm sure some people thought he was a great politician and mayor of East Saginaw. He was a successful businessman. He was wealthy. He was rich. But I think when you hear the story of his life, and particularly the story of his death, the words that come to mind most are probably angry, mean, bitter, spiteful. The words that we use to describe Wellington Burt are not words about the things that he did or had in his life, but words that describe the condition of his heart. That's what we're going to talk about today. If you've been reading through the book of Mark, 
We've seen Jesus over the last several weeks on the shores of the Sea of Galilee interacting with people, healing a paralytic, um, forgiving his sins. The last two weeks we've talked about Jesus' um, Jesus, uh, hatred for legalism, for the spirit that is all about man-made religion. And yet, Jesus, in, in Chris's message last week, said, who, who are my mother and my brothers? Who are the people that really are serious about following me? It's people who obey my commands. Chris, Chris painted a picture, a great picture, of two frames to a picture. Legal, uh, a hatred for legalism on one end, but a, a commitment to follow Jesus, to obey him on the other, to shape who he is. Um, that finishes the end of Mark chapter 3. And in Mark chapter 4, Mark begins to describe Jesus' teaching to the crowds. And he talks about Jesus' teaching in parables to hide the message at some from, the, from the crowds. And he tells, the first parable that he tells in Mark chapter 4 is the parable that many of you are very familiar with. It's the parable of the sower. The sower goes out and scatters seed. Seed falls on different kinds of soil. It falls on hard ground where it gets trampled. The birds come down and eat it. It falls on thorny ground where it takes root and springs up um, and the thorns choke it out. The, 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 the uh, seed can't really bear any fruit because the thorns take over. Uh, it falls on ground where it springs up, but it doesn't have a good root system, and the sun bakes it and destroys it. And then some of the seed falls on good, fertile soil, and it, it, it ultimately ends up creating a harvest of, of 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Jesus explains that parable to his disciples because they don't understand what that's about. And Jesus said it's about the, the, the seed is the word of God and the soil is the condition of your heart. It's all about uh, people respond differently to the word of God. In verse 21, Jesus goes on and says, Jesus says to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him, let him hear. Verses 21 and 22 are kind of hard to understand if you, if you just look at them by themselves, if you miss the broader context. The previous conversation where the, where the disciples have said, we don't understand this parable of the sower. It begins to be much clearer when Jesus begins to teach them that the parables are being taught with the, with the message hard to understand. It's there to be understood, but it may take some time before it becomes clear. The picture of the lamp coming in and being made to set on a lampstand is so that the light can show all around. Not to be hidden forever, but so that it can be shown. It's going to take some time before people really get it. And in verse 24, there's this truth that I want us to talk about this morning. Jesus says, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught a very similar truth. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, Judge not, and you won't be judged. Don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. 
There's this principle that Jesus describes. It's a principle of reciprocity. What we do will come back to us. Uh, most of us, when we were young, were taught the golden rule by our parents or by our teachers. You know, the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. Um, I think for most of us, you, you hear that, you, you know, that, that's kind of been in our minds forever, and we think, is that Scripture or not Scripture? Hmm, that, that is, is that just a good truth that's there for us? Or is it something more than that? And that's actually from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this, In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus said, if you want to be forgiven, be forgiving. If you want people to be kind to you, be kind to them. If you want fairness and justice, be a person who's fair and just. If you want people to believe the best about you, believe the best about them. Do to others what you would have them do to you. But in Mark 4 and Luke 6, Jesus teaches kind of the opposite is true as well. The way that we treat others is the way that we'll be treated as well. The same truth, but two different kind of things. One is kind of the cause, the other is the effect. One is our motivation, and the other is the result. One piece that Jesus says, says, if you want people to respond to you in a great way, respond to them in that way. But he also says this is true. Whatever you do, that's going to come back to you. Luke chapter 6, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. There are, there are a lot of applications about that. We can, we can talk about all kinds of applications of that truth this morning, but I want to zero in on one concept because as I was studying through the book of Mark and thinking about Jesus and thinking about how do, how do we paint this picture of who Jesus is, that he's not just this historical figure, but that he's interacting with people, he's alive and well, there's this truth, I think, that's there, an application of that truth that, that, that was close to Jesus' heart, and, and that was the truth of generosity. Um, why generosity? Why do I want to talk about generosity this morning in this idea of when we're generous, people will be generous back to us, that concept that's there? I think it's because we live in a culture that generosity is so um, it's so much the opposite of what we experience on a practical basis. Um, it's critical in this culture, and it's critical for us as a church, because generosity expresses the condition of our heart. Wellington Burt gave hundreds of thousands of dollars away while he was alive. But his heart, when he died was hard and mean. One of, one of the parts of Wellington Burt's story that I didn't tell you was he had left, I believe it was uh, uh, about a million dollars for the city of Saginaw. Again, 1919 dollars. But when they raised his taxes two or three years before he died, he, um, he cut that, that gift to the city down to about $40,000. Um, kind of interesting. Wellington Burt died an angry old man his generosity or his lack of it showed the condition of his heart. What's generosity about? Most of the time when we think about generosity, particularly when we think about it in the church, we think about money. Oh, is this going to be a sermon about money? It's not really. Because generosity is about, it really is about our time, our treasure, and our talent. All three of those T's. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. We, God calls us to be generous in every aspect 
of our life. We read the paper and we read about Bill Gates giving $100 million to a particular thing or whatever it is, and we think, boy, I wish I could be generous like that. But the challenge for us is to be generous with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure. Why is that? Because it displays the condition of our heart. As I've been working through this, thinking about generosity, it's, it's, um, it's something that I, I struggle with. I, you know, let, me, let me just be um, honest and open in that. Um, part, of, part of why I feel like we need to talk about it today is because, again, in our culture, it's easy for it to be about us and not to be about others. Let me, let me share some things that I studied through this week. Um, generosity, at its core, is about how I view others around me. It's easy to be generous with anything, with people that we love, with people that we trust, with people that we believe in. But it's hard to be generous with people who are mean, people who are spiteful, people who are divisive, or people that are very different than me, maybe different racially, different socioeconomically, different educationally. Those people, it's, it's much more difficult to be generous with my time, with my talent, with my treasure. If a member of my family needs anything and I can provide that for them, I'll do it. On the other hand, if that neighbor who plays the music really, really loud has the parties that last until two or three in the morning every weekend the neighbor that steals my comics out of the Sunday paper. Uh, you know, it's a lot harder to be generous with them. It's not very easy for me with that person that's difficult to offer my tools, to take food to him when his wife's in the hospital, to pick up his kid who's walking home from school in the rain. Because generosity Um, at at its core is impacted by the way I see others around me. What's at stake is how do I see the world? Are the people who are here and in my world that I interact with, are they here for me, to serve me and meet my needs, to fit into my story, to make my life easier? Or are they here because God created them in His image and He wants them to be in His presence eternally just like me. That question shapes for me whether or not I can be generous with every aspect of my life. Generosity at its core is not just about my view of others, it's about my view of anything and everything that I possess. It's easy to be generous with stuff that I don't care about. Things that are extra and not needed anymore. Things that are old and outdated. Things that I'm going to replace anyways. It's hard to be generous with something that involves sacrifice for me. Right now we've got a pile of stuff that's ready to go Salvation Army. It's all extra stuff. That's not generosity. That's just cleaning out my closet. Um, When we were in Ohio, we, we did an event... 
at the church that was called Barefoot Sunday. It was a really, really cool event. And there are several pictures in my mind from Barefoot Sunday. We did it for, for five years in a row. Basically what happened on Barefoot Sunday was the message that day challenged people to leave their shoes at the front of the church. We partnered with an organization called Souls for Souls. And after church that Sunday, we would take all of the shoes that had been donated, ship them to to Souls for Souls, and they would then be distributed throughout the country and ultimately throughout the world. Wherever there was a disaster, if a, a tornado hit and homes were lost, they would bring shoes in to the families that needed shoes. Um, third world countries, people that were dying because of disease that came in through their feet. Souls for Souls would take shoes there and, um, and provide those for them. It was a really, really cool thing. Several pictures for me stay in my mind from the years that we did Barefoot Sunday. One picture was of a man that was in his 80s. I think he was probably 84 or 85. And I remember him going to the front of the church as a, as a part of the response to the message, taking off his good church shoes, leaving them there, and walking barefoot through the church, out in the parking lot, out to his car. Really cool picture of generosity and sacrifice. There's another picture. There were, there were a lot of people, because we talked about Barefoot Sunday before it, it came time, and there were a lot of people that would bring in boxes of shoes from their closet, kind of the Amelda Marcus thing, uh, if you remember that reference. You know, people that would, um, ladies in particular, this is, uh, this is not just a woman thing, but, uh, you know, ladies that would bring in 20, 30, 40 pairs of shoes out of their closet that they weren't wearing and donate them to Souls for Souls. You know, that was a great thing to do, but it wasn't really generosity. It was really just cleaning their closet and trying to put those things um, in, the right, in the right hands to do that. There's one last picture for me when I think about that, when I think about our stuff in, as it relates to generosity. There was a family there with young kids, and I knew that the mom didn't have a lot of money, But she took the kids and went to uh, a shoe store and bought three pairs of brand new shoes. When they came for Barefoot Sunday, those kids came up with these shoe boxes with brand new shoes in them and laid them at the front of the church to give to someone that they didn't know that would ultimately have a need. Generosity expresses for us how we view the stuff of our life. And not just the possessions. It really has to do with um, it, how we view our time, the time that we have, where we allocate our time. It has to do with where we allocate our talent, our gifts, our intellect, um, the skills that God allows us to have and to use, whether we use them for us or whether we use them for others. And it does deal with the material possessions that we have as well. Generosity at its core, it's about how we see the world around us, how we see other people. It's about how we see everything that we have. But it's also ultimately about our heart. Generosity, if God has called us to be generous people, it really is about our heart. Our heart shows whether we're generous or not. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. When we're generous, when we live out that generosity on a daily basis, some crazy things happen in our lives. Um, we've got neighbors at our cottage at Crystal Lake, um, Scott and Jenny Kennexnecht. Um They live in Fowler. And they have become great friends over the last two and a half years since they bought the cottage next door. Scott and Jenny have five kids, four girls and a boy. Their, their son is named Cooper. He's about nine years old, and Cooper has autism. Um, Scott and Jenny have been just so cool in talking about their journey when Cooper was born with autism, how they responded to it, and how it threw their whole world upside down. They realize that Cooper will be with them until the day that they die. Um, their, their life is going to be very different because of Cooper. As a result of that, Scott and Jenny started a nonprofit called No More Sidelines. It's an organization that's there to come alongside and support families of kids with autism. If you were driving on Old 27 yesterday uh, at the Putt-Putt place, you saw uh, No More Sidelines on the, on the billboard there because they had an event at the Putt-Putt place where they paired um, golfers from DeWitt High School, from Langsburg High School, uh, from one other high school, with kids with autism. So these, these high school kids that are great golfers are paired with kids with autism, taking them through the golf course and showing them how to putt and how to play, having a great time for them. Uh, Deb and I went over and stopped and said hello to him. It was a really cool thing. But what I want to tell you is, back in the summer when we were living at the cottage, we weren't in our house yet, um, they had their largest fundraiser. It was at a golf course north of St. John's. We decided we were going to stop and see them because we wanted to, we wanted to give uh, to No More Sidelines. And um, what happened, I, I don't, I'm not really a golfer, so I didn't do the whole golf thing. You know, they, they had all their foursomes doing that kind of thing. But they had the silent auction and all that kind of stuff. So we came in, went through everything that was there in the silent auction, and I thought, like most men do, oh, you know what, I don't really need any of that stuff. That, it's all going to be okay, that kind of thing. But we signed up for a few things. You know, there was a, a weekend away at a bed and breakfast, and, and we made a bid for that. Um, and Deb kept saying, ah, oh, let's, let's bid on this, let's bid on this. And I'm thinking, if we get all this stuff, what are we going to do? You know, we're going to be really generous. Um, but we signed up for several things. And um, one of the things that happens when we're generous is incredibly crazy things happen. We actually won one of those bids at, a silent, at the silent auction. And this is what we won. generous <laughs> crazy things happen if you're new here and trying to figure out what's going on I'm from Ohio big Ohio State fan and but I got to tell you when I see this Spartan blanket because of the ability that we had to be generous with no more sidelines the ability to, to give when I see this blanket I don't see Michigan State you know who I see I see Cooper, their son. I see Scott and Jenny trying to figure out how to come alongside families. My view of the people associated with this blanket is changed because of the opportunity that we had to be generous that day. Really cool thing.
Not only did it change the way I see people, it changes the way I see things. Someone asked me once, you know, when you get to, to DeWitt, are you going to be a Michigan State fan? I said, no, I will not have any Michigan State stuff in my home. I'm an Ohio State fan. But let me tell you this. When I see this blanket and it reminds me of Cooper and Scott and Jenny and their family, of kids with autism, this can have a place in my home that's a treasured place because it doesn't for me represent Michigan State. It represents those people who are hurting. When we're generous, everything changes. It changes the condition of our heart. You know, um, there's a, there's a uh, I think, a danger for us whenever we start to talk about money and, and finances, resources, generosity in the context of the church. There's this question that, that is, oh, you know, are we in trouble financially? What's, is this message really a subtle hint because we need more money? Well, it's not. Let me, let me just say, we started uh, this year with a new budget. Um, our giving in September didn't quite equal the budget amount, but it exceeded expenditures by a lot, and that's a really cool thing. Um, the, church, the church has been through a struggle over the last year, and it's impacted a number of people and financial resources. But God provided for us in having a, a, an emergency fund that carried through that process in an incredible way. Say all that to say, this is not about money. But let me, just, let me just talk for a couple minutes and dream. Because as I've been here and begun to get into the midst of the, of the money stuff as it relates to the church, there's this truth that's incredible. Um, when, when the mortgage for North Point goes away, when our mortgage is paid off, it will free up $135,000 a year for ministry. $135,000 a year. That's an incredible amount of money. Think about the things that we can do with $135,000. Every year, the number of wells that we could dig in Africa, providing water, fresh water for villages that struggle with death and disease because they don't have it. The number of, of people here in our area that we could help homeless people, um, people who don't have as much as we do, that we could reach out and minister to in clear ways. Churches that we could plant that would reach lost people for eternity with those resources that we have available. There's uh, the difference that we might make in human trafficking because they need resources to help do that. $135,000 a year we could free up for ministry. Our ability to invest in students and children, in leadership development, in the kingdom as a whole. That's a crazy thing. And so I want to encourage you to be generous in your giving. I, I thought, you know, if this were a manipulative thing, it would be a lot easier today to do the, the um, offering at the end of the message instead of in the middle of the service because we'd have a great offering, right? It's not about that. It's really not about that because generosity is all about the condition of your heart, not just simply the action that comes out of that. Understand that we respond with a generous heart, with a heart that overflows, when we really, really get who God is. 
the songs that we sang in worship this morning that talk about the nature of God and Jesus leaving the kingdom of heaven to come to earth changes everything. Jesus made himself poor. He left the riches of heaven for our sake. And the only thing that makes sense is for us to respond, to live lives that are filled with generosity to reflect the nature of God. You're going to have some opportunities this week. The Holy Spirit will bring what we've talked about this morning back to your mind. There are going to be times that you have opportunities with your time, with your talent, and with your treasure to keep them to yourselves and times that you have opportunities to give them away, to give them away extravagantly, lavishly generous. Let me encourage you. Remember Remember who God is. Remember that Jesus left the glory of heaven for us so that we can show the world around us who he is by the way that we live. Let's pray. God, we, we so desperately want our lives to matter. God, we don't want to live we don't want to live with a spike clause as we die. We don't want to try and hoard stuff, but it's so easy for us, God, to do so. God, we ask right now that you would help us have eyes to see and ears to hear. God, that you would change the condition of our heart that we would have soft hearts, that we would see the people around us, that our eyes would be open. God, that we would see when you have resourced us in ways that we can make a difference in our worlds. And God, that, that our hearts would be soft, would reflect you to the people around us. God, make us a generous people. Make us a generous church. Let that generosity reflect you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.